Welcome to this Barks podcast brought to you by the Pet Professional Guild. The Pet Professional Guild is a membership organization that represents you, a pet industry professional who is committed to results-based, science-based, ethical training in pet care. Pet guardians, do you need help with your pet? PPG has professionals across the world on standby to help you and your four-legged family member so you're in the right place. To learn more about PPG, visit www.petprofessionalguild.com. Let's start with this week's podcast. Well, here we are. Good afternoon. How are you, Zazie? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm really, really well. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's, I feel like I haven't spoken to you for months, but I spoke to you like three months ago, I think, didn't we? We spoke about WAG. We did for a while ago, yes. But it, I think the thing is that time, time is just quite weird at the moment so <laughs> it just goes by and then all of a sudden the year's gone by <laughs> I know and you know it, it's funny because I was talking to someone last week and we were saying that this COVID scenario has been it's been almost 18 months I mean literally and yet in some ways it feels like it was just yesterday when it first appeared and yet 18 months is a long time for us all to have been living under these very different conditions so time is just very strange concept it is and especially I think for anyone who's been spending a lot more time at home than usual every day is the same and yeah. that has this weird effect on what it feels like if you're going out and about and doing things different things every day it makes time feel longer but every day is the same it's like it's yeah. just one day I know, I know. It, it's strange and I think you know we're in July we're halfway through the year where has this year gone I mean where where has it gone anyway all right so it's always so good to talk to you. Um, I'm looking at your book just over your shoulder. How's, oh, yeah. how, how are the sales of WAG going? Are they still, is it still flying off the shelf? Yeah, I've been really pleased. I think I've been incredibly lucky actually, because of course WAG came out immediately before lockdown started in many places right. so it was like the worst possible timing and various events had to, obviously had to be cancelled quite rightly had to be cancelled right. uh, or moved online and I've been incredibly lucky that despite that people have still heard about WAG and they've still read it and enjoyed yeah. it and obviously they must have been telling other people about it too right. um, which is great it's it's really really nice and I've been lucky because sometimes people write to me and they tell me that it's helped them to understand their dog better or they've started doing yeah. sniffaris with their dog or something like that and that's the best possible feedback that I could get I mean that's that's the reason why I wrote it so that makes me very happy indeed when I hear that. Oh, absolutely I mean we, we were talking on a PPG marketing call the other day and we were talking about when we get pet owners that will reach out to us and say it was so nice to be able to find a professional in the directory and I mean really and I know this sounds really sort of cliche but it really does bring tears to my eyes sometimes because that's what it's that's why we do everything we do isn't it because we want to connect pet owners with good ethical professionals and we want to help them make informed educated decisions so when you get that kind of feedback I mean it just makes you go wow that's that mission accomplished so to speak you know yeah it, it's really special I think and it's information or, and, and the kind of professional that people really want to be able to connect with as well because often I hear from people who have been to trainers who've used aversive methods and they haven't wanted to use them but the trainer has persuaded them to try it anyway and they think well this is a dog trainer so I should do what they say and then they're not happy with it and that it doesn't feel right to them and then when they find someone who does use reward-based methods and it takes much more account of their relationship with their pet and it fits more with what they you know how they want yeah. to live with their pet and yeah. they feel much happier and it makes such a difference and I think you know that that really helps to change people's relationship with their pet so it's really nice when you can yeah. help someone to find yeah. that I think yeah. oh absolutely and I mean and I think you know if we're honest I mean I just I don't know why I don't know anybody that has a pet whether it's a horse or a dog or a cat that intentionally goes out of their way to cause it emotional or physical harm I mean it, obviously, there's always the exception um, in our society, but in general, people just don't want to have an adversarial relationship with their pets, but they just don't know what, what and how to ask for or where to look in many cases. That's right. And we get told so many things that are completely incorrect about how we should interact, especially with dogs. But it, it applies to cats as well and the kinds yeah. of things that you're supposed to do that people say that you're supposed to do. And yeah. people internalize some of that as well. And then they even end up feeling 
shame or guilt sometimes for doing things which are perfectly fine like cuddling with their dog on the settee or you know letting their dog take their time on a walk instead of expecting them to just march alongside them all the time and these are lovely things that you should have a choice to be able to do with your pet and that's why we get the pet I mean it's nice to have the pets on the bed at night for example and it it seems if you want it obviously not if you don't want it but that should be a choice that people can make instead of some blanket rule that some dog trainer has arbitrarily said no you mustn't do this Uh, but unfortunately people have heard that kind of thing and and yeah it's not the kind of relationship that people want with their pet and it's I I find it very sad when somebody starts off the communication with a trainer by apologizing for I'm really sorry but my dog does sleep on the bed you know it's that they start off with those apologies because that those cultural fogs as Susan Friedman calls and that so many people believe they just shouldn't be doing that and I think what a shame that you feel that you have to apologize for just wanting your pet close to you (laughs) I mean that's why we get them we want to we want to have them close to us we want that lovely relationship but I mean over the years I think how we think about children and how we should teach children has changed a lot and it's take it's taken time for people's actual practice to follow the science and I guess it's just the same in dog training it takes time for people to catch up to how things are especially when things are still out there in old-fashioned tv shows and old-fashioned dog training books so it's really great that the pet professional guild does so much to help to educate people and to help people to find the right kind of trainer for their dog or the right kind of pet professional it makes a big difference you know, it, it's interesting because I was I was I met with somebody last night who was doing some um, writing um, for me because PPG is doing an article to go into a UK magazine. And um, one of the questions was, you know, uh, the, one of the first questions was, why did you start PPG? And then the last question was, what's the future? And we were looking at the guiding principles and looking at the original charter. And the reason we started it was as an, um, an, an antidote for the wrong types of training that's out there. And the answer was the same for where are we going in the future as to why we started it, because we haven't fulfilled that mission yet. Mm-hmm. I think we've been able to apply some pressure on the industry and shape some of the industry, but we still have a long way to go. I mean, I read yesterday or the day before that um, He Who Shall Not Be Named has another series coming out. So, you know, while those, while those types of training methods are still in demand, we recognize that we still have a lot of work to do. Yes, I think so. Um, But I mean, at the same time, you must be very, very proud of what the Pet Professional Guild has accomplished, because I think you have done so much and you're such a big organization now and you've put so much great information out there and you have so many things set up like the conferences, uh, the Geek Week and so on to help get information out to other pet professionals as well as to help people find ordinary people find a pet professional so that's something to be really really proud of but it does take work and it takes time doesn't it you can't just accomplish everything overnight and it takes a lot of people I mean when I think about everybody that supports us from individuals like yourself to you know just members and pet owners I mean it really I mean it's 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 massive in terms of the amount of people that have an input in what into what we do Mm, I think that's brilliant and it's great to involve so many people and it does make a difference and the other thing is that every individual can make a difference as well and this is one of the things I'm going to mention in my talk at at Geek Week actually. Um, (laughs) Yeah because I wanted to talk to you about that I actually have that written down yeah. Awesome. So one of my talks is going to be about how we can change attitudes and behaviors when it comes to training dogs. And one of the things that I will say is that every individual who shares something about how they've been training their dog or their client's dog using reward based methods is helping to make a difference because they're helping to change the social norms of how people think dogs should be trained. You know, so every every single person can do something there that makes a difference. And it's not necessarily it's not being adversarial or attacking other people it's just sharing this is what we do and this is how it works and and also sharing the reality of it like that it can be a gradual process and it's not an overnight change it can take time because I think that's the other thing when you look at the tv shows you're kind of expecting a quick fix and that's what makes for great tv but it's not the reality of of actually living with and training a dog and that's whether it's a dog or whether it's weight loss or whether it's getting healthy or what, or even whether it's baking a cake. I mean, it doesn't happen in 20 seconds, does it? It just doesn't. But, no, <laughs> all good things are uh, worth the wait. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, there's, there's two things I want to sort of hit on. Um, and you know about these because I've communicated with you about them. 
um, actually one of them. The first thing is that um, PPG is um, actually rolling out a book club quite soon. It's being worked on in the background um, for our members because as, you know, and you mentioned it earlier, I mean, how many books do we buy with really good intentions and we just don't get around to reading them? Yeah. And I think when you have a book club and you meet every week and some you're sort of being held accountable by peers to sort of move through the book, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. So we have to get you involved in that in, in the first sort of quarter with WAG because I think it's a book that, that sounds a lot awesome. of people yeah yeah thank you that sounds awesome and as you know I've been running a book club for companion animal psychology for I think about four and a half years now we read 10 books a year and and chat about them so it is a lot so it's like one that's less 10 a year yeah that's yeah I mean that's almost a month wow yeah wow (laughs) so we take January off and July off um, but and people are allowed to skip a book if they want to so Um, I ask people who are joining to commit to reading seven of the 10 books a year, which is still quite a lot. And, and I'm sure there's a place for a much slower paced book club that takes like two months or three months over a book because everyone's so busy. But it's been really nice to read the books and chat with people about it. And one of the reasons I set that up was because I was reading quite a lot of books and I wanted other people to talk to about them and also I wanted to make sure I kept reading them and got to the end (laughs) instead of you know sometimes you're just busy and so you put the book down halfway through and and it really helps to have other people to chat with about it and it's been so much fun so I'm really pleased to hear that you're doing that and just I mean just as an aside before before I got into dog training and stuff I was a psychologist as you know and some of the work that I did was actually a piece of work on on book clubs and how people talk about books so that's just a complete aside but it was a lot of fun I'm I'm sure Rebecca King's listening to this because Rebecca is an avid reader I mean she Mm -hmm. reads to be honest with you I grew up in a family that were avid readers I mean from the age of I don't know three or four most of the presents we got were books and book sets. And my parents were both educators, so reading was really important. When I did my master's degree, which I didn't do until I was in my late 30s, um, I read so much for that, that I sort of lost the pleasure of reading. And I found it, I really struggled to get back into reading just for pure pleasure rather than reading for research. So um, Rebecca's gonna head up the book club as an avid reader. She's a member of the book club and sort of understands how they work. So I'm really excited about it. But going back to what you said about talking about books, so much of what we learn when we read is when we reflect upon what we've experienced and what we've actually read and then and and then that communication with other people. So I think, and you obviously would know more than me, but I would think that when you read with a book club, that you probably absorb and can uh, and sort of can then regurgitate more of what you've read because you're having, is that true? I mean, is yes. Go yeah yeah I, I think that is true and one of the nice things with a book club is that everybody brings something different to yeah. a book so the book isn't just what the author intended it's also what the reader brings and in a book club you get to hear what other people thought of it and how other people's own experiences related to the book and that's really interesting and it, it does help you I think to take more of it in or certainly to think about it in a bit more depth than you would have done otherwise yeah. and plus it's just fun it's fun to hear what other people thought of the book too and then there'll be things that you've missed like maybe you've been reading through quickly and you've you've actually skimmed over something and someone else will say I really like this bit or I really liked the language that they used yeah. to just you know the this yeah. construction of this sentence or something literary like that and you'll be like oh wow I might have missed that otherwise and so that's really nice too <laughs> absolutely and, and I think as well I think with the PPG book club I think what we'd like to do is sort of rotate between academic and then sort of books like WAC because because mm-hmm. I think with some of the academic books um, I think if collectively people are talking, I think there's a real learning that takes place there as well. I mean, let's say that you're talking about sort of, I don't know, respondent conditioning and everybody again sort of has a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. But when you start to talk about it from an academic framework, it's like, oh my God, I've never thought about it like that. I can maybe use that in my in my business. So I, I think there's just so many benefits to doing it. I'm actually quite excited about it. That's really exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear about it. I think that's brilliant. And and as you say, you hear what other people say. And if you're looking at academic books, you'll hear other people's explanations of things as well. And it, it just helps you to make more sense of it. Because sometimes you read something, you think you've understood it, and then you hear someone else talking about it and you think, oh, I hadn't actually thought about right. it like that. It's really, it's really interesting as a like as a learning opportunity, but it's fun as well. Yeah. And also you can read things sometimes and go, well, I sort of intellectually understand that, but how how would how would I take that from academia and actually implement 
that into a protocol? How, mm. how could that work? When would that be relevant? And, I, and mm. other people are going to say, well, this is what I've done in the past. So I just, I think there's just so much value for, for all, all around for everybody. So yeah. Um, mm. yeah and yeah, and it's got a fun name as well. So um, it's, it's going to be an interesting concept. Now, the, other concept, the other concept that I, I, know, I think you know about, because I emailed you about it, was we're actually rolling out a PPG advocacy panel. Mm. And we're doing this because when we, when we do our marketing meetings with PPG, we recognize that, and this is my personal opinion, this isn't necessarily a position of PPG. I, I have, I spent a lot of years researching the licensing, not just in the dog training mm. industry, but across the board. I've read all the white papers. I've done the, I've looked at the behavior economics. I've done a lot of research on this. And in general, licensing doesn't always solve the problems that an industry believes it's going to solve mm. but what it certainly does not do is help educate consumers we have to take the responsibility to mm. do that and i think as you mentioned earlier that every single individual practitioner advocates every time they go into a customer's home you're advocating for positive reinforcement training but i'm hoping that through our advocacy panel we can get the message out wider and further mm. And we're going to focus on topics. And the very first topic actually is the same topic that you're doing for Geek Week, which is how can you advocate for our mission and vision and values and still remain ethical and professional? So what I mean by that, and I know you have a lot of the answers, is you can advocate. You don't have to be condemning individuals, mm -hmm. judging individuals, and being adversarial you can advocate there are ways of doing that but a lot of people struggle so i think the first one we're going to talk about is how do we reach the general public how do we what's the message how do we message that so with without giving away your entire presentation <laughs> what what for you is sort of the one thing that we all can do and how we can do it to help drive that message home that you can train your dog and develop a fabulous relationship with them or your cat or your horse. I think that's a really great question and I think it's fundamental to everything that we do really and I was so excited to get your email I haven't replied yet but I was really excited to get your email about that advocacy panel so thank you for that I think it's a really exciting development one of the things I like to say is that it can really help to focus on positive messages and it's very easy to get sucked into some of the arguments and yeah. adversarial situations and it can be useful to do that sometimes it's important that someone does that but at the same time sometimes it's spending too much time on other people's agendas and it's not necessarily doing that much to help to promote what are the kinds of things that you want people to do and it's not necessarily giving people positive messages of what they actually can do yeah and we know from the research on science communication that positive messages are actually really important so sharing positive messages about oh you've got a problem with your dog or your cat doing this well here's what you can do and breaking it down into something um simple but realistic that explains what you can do so getting those positive messages across can be really helpful and i think it also helps if you have stories about them so if you know like if you have a client's dog or you have your own dog or cat that you've worked through an issue with sharing those stories can help as well because it helps it to seem it shows that it's realistic it right. helps people to see other people in the same situation getting getting through it and and doing you know knowing what to do and, and coming out the other end and it, it also helps to be realistic to know that it's not going to happen immediately it's going to take time yeah. sometimes yeah. <laughs> um, and also sometimes that some things that you think are an issue they're not necessarily an issue you've just been told that they're an issue and if you think through about what you want to do maybe you don't have to worry too much about it depending right. on what it is obviously I mean whether or not something is a behavior issue is in that the eye of the beholder so right. but the main thing I think is right. getting these positive messages across actually makes a, a big big difference because it tells people what they can do it gives yeah. them hope it gives them nice examples and it also helps you to actually get across the information you want to get across instead of spending a lot of time yeah. focusing on what you shouldn't do, which, you know, we say, we say of our dogs, one of the problems with using punishment is that you're not teaching them what they should do. And so it's exactly the same thing with people. With our people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming as a psychologist that you're very familiar with motivational interviewing. 
it's actually not the kind of thing that I used to do. So I, I have some familiarity with it, but it's not the kind of thing that I used to do. So because I wasn't a, and I wasn't a practicing clinical psychologist. I was a, a social psychologist uh, working on communication skills, which is why I'm always so interested in how we communicate about dog training. Perfect. All right. Well, I spent the last couple of years studying it through a um, through a program that's actually targeted for fitness professionals. Because um, one of the most difficult things that anyone can do is lose weight and get healthy. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And I did a webinar on this a couple of days ago for PPG. But one of the things that I learned through this, and I, I sort of spent the whole time going, uh-huh, 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 is, is, is this the ability to unveil the ambivalence that people have about, this is what I actually want, but I might be, but I said so my intent, but I can't change my behavior to reach that intent. And I think that's one of the things that we have to talk about with our clients. It's that focusing on what they can do, because the minute that we enter into a dialogue with a client and we view them as an adversarial or we judge them, there's no way we can impact a, a frame of a, a framework of change when we do that, because internally the client's going, well, you think I'm an ass because I've been using a shop collar or you think I'm an ass because my dog um, is snarling at my neighbor. And you don't tend to listen to people that insult you or judge you, you know, because you're not deemed credible at that point. Mm. So I think we have a lot to learn about the people communication process in our industry and how we can best have impactful dialogue with people so that they view us as credible and therefore will work with us to absolutely yeah absolutely and nobody likes to feel judged like you know they're being judged for having done the wrong thing so we have to get over that to begin with especially because when people come to us they can be quite upset about the behaviors that they're dealing with and we have to take account of those emotional issues as well and there's been some really nice work on the difficult emotions that go along with having a dog with a behavior issue whether it's reactivity or, or behavior issues more broadly and there's a whole host of negative emotions that people feel um, from feeling frustrated and angry or depressed and sad and like they've let their dog down um, or like they they're embarrassed and they think other people are judging them and they've got negative views all of those negative emotions that people can have and that means that we need to be especially careful in how we approach talking to people because as you say if they feel that we're judging them for having done the wrong thing by their dog already they're not going to want to listen to us they've already put a wall up there there's a barrier there um, so we have to be very understanding of, of what they've been through and what they're going through and kind of see it as coaching. We're coaching the person as much as we're training the dog, you know, so and you have to do that in a very sensitive way. Yeah. And I had, a, had an example of this this morning and I was out walking my dog this morning and coming towards us were two large um, dogs on leashes. And it was obvious in the way they were being walked that they didn't really have very sort of nice leash manners. Mm. So when I'm in those scenarios, I just immediately go into the one, two, three game of Leslie McDevitt because it keeps mm. my dog significantly focused on me and not on what's going on around. So in this situation, I was playing the one, two, three game. And then I actually stopped and asked her to sit and we did the game while we were sitting so that they could pass us. And the gentleman said um, to his wife, oh, that's a lovely behaved dog. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because I'm actually managing her behavior right now. If I'd have just mm. sort of stood there and done nothing, she probably would have been bouncing off the end of the leash, wanting to say hello, like your dogs are doing. Yeah. Meanwhile, the wife is correcting, stop it, stop it, stop it. And just pulling at this little, um, little um, mixed breed dog, really embarrassed. And, I, and as we left, my husband and I were talking about that because we, and I say we know, we don't know, I didn't ask her. But in general, those outward comments and that behavior only takes place because the human being is embarrassed. Mm. It's their way of sort of deflecting and letting the other person me know, I've got this, my dog's, I'm, mm. I'm in control. And I just think what a shame that, that we feel we have to do that with our dogs, that we feel that mm. we have to sort of publicly admonish them if they're not behaving 
properly yes yeah absolutely because it feels embarrassing and oh. so I think people feel that they want to be seen that they're doing something about it and that's what they think they have to do right. even though it, it doesn't help it, I think right. that maybe they even know that it, it doesn't help or you know over time it's not working but it, it's signaling to the other person yeah. as you say I've got this or I'm doing yeah. something about it so I'm that trying, they feel I'm less trying, yeah. I'm trying yes I'm trying yeah. I'm doing my best <laughs> um well and then you get the other type of person which I see regularly um, where I'll be out with my dog and I always have treats with me because there's always teaching moments um, where somebody will go, oh, she's doing that for the food. And, and, and I go, yep, she sure is. But, you yeah. see, but it's said with a tone of voice like, huh, only for the food. Why does that matter? Why? What, what, and so it's, it fascinates me that pet owners, and it's still that cultural fog, isn't it? They feel that that for me is suggesting that maybe you think or that your philosophy is that the dog should do that just because. Mm. which goes back to the whole sort of myth about you know dogs should just behave for their owners so I think it's fascinating that nobody ever says oh how do you uh, actually I had a man said to me one night oh how do you get your dog to do that and I said well actually I'm a dog trainer so I've got a slight advantage and he went oh mm. really and we started a really nice conversation but in general people wouldn't stop to think and say oh could you help me with that or how do you do that they either oh you have to use food or they get embarrassed about their own dog's behavior, but neither of those are really what we want, are they? It's, I just, you know, it's, it's really difficult. I know, and, and those rare moments when someone actually says to you, oh, you're using food, that's really good. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but it's nice when it does, because you yeah. think, yes, there's someone else yeah. who understands what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, there still are these ideas that dogs should be like robots and they should just do what you say just because. And, yeah. um, but the thing is, the people who say that, they don't seem to take account of force they don't I mean they don't mind using force but they do object to food and you think well why it makes yeah. no sense yeah um, someone said to me the other day um or I read something oh my hair's falling down sorry I read something on Facebook where um and I thought this was quite fascinating that a lady was sort of overly correcting her dog and then the trainer who was walking by was just sort of clicking and treating and the woman who was like correcting said um oh you have to use that machine and she said well it's no different than the tool you're using you know, mm. I mean, the point being, that we're both using tools here, but my tool is not necessarily, you know, jerking my dog all over the place and causing harm. So which goes to your point is that we were happy to use force, but we don't understand why somebody would use food. It's it's mm. a very strange dichotomy, isn't it? It's like, why would there's a disconnect there somewhere? There is a disconnect there somewhere. And I think also sometimes people mistakenly feel that if you're using food with your dog, somehow your dog doesn't love you because we have these cultural ideas that, yeah. that a faithful companion will just do what you say. And I think that's harmful to dogs because, you know, just because you use food, it doesn't mean yeah. they don't love you. And probably they might even love you a little bit more because of the food. I don't care if it's because of the food. <laughs> no, you know, excuse me. Yeah. Um, so yeah so i i think it really helps to see more people using food in training it helps to give the idea that this is the right thing to do and it's unfortunate that with dogs other people feel, random strangers feel that they can just come up and start commenting to you about what you're doing it makes it all the more difficult and i, I that's another reason why like people shouldn't feel embarrassed to be using food but right. that's why whatever training you're giving someone to do with their dog you need to help them understand why so that in those cases where someone does come up and say something they've got something they can say back or they you know they're still going to feel confident <laughs> in what they're doing yeah. or they're happy just to to walk off and leave the person I mean you don't have to engage in conversation with random yeah. strangers if you don't Absolutely. want to <laughs> a lady one day that walked over to me and and as she walked over to me and I you know my dog I obviously I think my dog's gorgeous I don't mm -hmm. take credit for it I chose her I didn't birth her she is gorgeous I've yeah. seen all the photos she, I love her yeah yeah we do get a lot of comments when we're out and about because mm. there are not many I don't I've never seen another Aussie in this area so a lot of people will drive by in their car and go she's pretty or what is she and a lady mm. walks over to me one day so I very politely asked very nice yesterday to sit and gave her mm. started to eat, gave her some cookies and the woman came over and pulled out this massive Ziploc bag from her little sports bag and she goes oh I like to give the dogs I meet on walks cookies so that they, <laughs> so they know I'm the cookie woman and I sort of went okay and my husband was about to say come on let's go because this bag mm. was just this sort of old rancid big sort of <laughs> cookies 
And I, I and I thought, oh, do I let her? Do I not? I don't want my dog eating that stuff, but I really don't want to punish her given that she wants to give my dog a cookie. So I had to sort of manage the, or sort of orchestrate how that went down and Doogie ended up getting this big sort of cookie thing. <laughs> but, it, but it actually made me smile. I thought, oh, how wonderful. I mean, mm. you know, do I really want strangers walking over and giving my dogs cookies? No, but at the same time, the fact that she was out and about on her morning walk wanting to reward the nice dogs in the neighborhood I thought I mean you've got to reinforce that haven't yeah, you yeah <laughs> that's just lovely in a way I mean that's really yeah. nice and you know there are probably a lot of people who love dogs but aren't able to have a dog in their life for, for whatever reason and it's nice if they can get to enjoy other people's dogs and that, the nice thing about friendly dogs they're sociable they like getting the attention from other people so you know that that's really nice and and it's always a good thing if people recognize that they're not in the right position in their life to actually get a dog I think you know it's an it's a hard thing if you get a dog and then realize that it wasn't the right thing to do for whatever reason at that point in time so it's nice if people can get to enjoy other people's dogs and the dogs enjoy it I've got a little senior shih tzu now and he's 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 10 years old and he's he's quite cute I have to say so when, when we're out on walks if if people start commenting on him being cute he really likes it he loves it like he doesn't actually want to be petted by anyone else but he loves it if they talk nicely to it to yeah. him he's really pleased so he he yeah, loves he's getting good. the attention <laughs> so how, how what's his name he's called pepper pepper and so how long have you had pepper uh, just a few months now we adopted him from the BCSPCA um, and he'd been in their care for a while and had some yeah. medical issues and he was very overweight so he's he's on a weight loss program and he's doing quite well and uh, he's on an exercise program and he's doing quite well which is really good and yeah so <laughs> isn't it getting dogs to shift some weight it's really difficult to do it is we're being wow. I mean our vet gave us a weight to aim for mm -hmm. and we're being really careful of actually weighing out his food yeah. rather than like using a cup because especially with him being a little dog and not getting you know he doesn't get that much food so yeah. just a few extra bits yeah. of kibble every day would, would make a difference yeah. so yeah we have to weigh it all out and count it, count out his treats in the morning and then weigh him every week and see how we're doing um yeah my, my doogie get tends to gain like four or five pounds every summer I, mm. she, I mean, she, she's amazing. She does not, she'll put her head out the dog door. And if it's too hot, she will not go outside. It mm. is so exercise. I have to get up at like five in the morning to exercise her. I have to take her out 10, 11 o'clock at night, especially in the Florida summer. Mm. Last year I took her to the vet and the vet said, Oh, Nikki, she's gained a few pounds. And I sort of looked at her and went, Oh yeah, she's a bit portly. Um, mm. we need to do something about this. And she runs with me. I mean, I run with her four or five mm. days a week. I don't take her for more than three miles, but it was really difficult to shift that four or five pounds. And that was exercising her and just being, and obviously I give her a lot of reinforcement and a lot of treats because I, I, yeah. I play fetch with her. We do agility and it's like with humans, you don't realize how many calories you're putting into their mouths until you have to start really monitoring it. And you think, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And with Pepper, it's meant I've had to really think about what kinds of training I want to do with him. Like I've got loads of things. I'd like to train him some tricks. He's yeah. got this cute thing now where he's starting to stand up on his hind legs with his paws up like dancing. So I want to actually train him to do that. But he's he's there's a horse in our neighborhood and it turns out he'd never seen a horse before. So I have to make sure I've got treats for that to do counter conditioning. And so then I have to think really carefully about what else am I going to train because I've only got so many treats that I can use each day I mean he's very food motivated you sort of count them but, out in the morning so you know what his allocation is yeah do. yeah and yeah so he's actually doing really well which is really nice um, but it's difficult and dogs are so good at asking for food like when you're sitting and eating I mean how can you say no it's really difficult well, I know <laughs> I mean my husband laughs because every night not every night but I I eat these um lentil uh sort of freeze-dried lentils as snacks and my dogs love them and the minute I sit down with the bowl my little dog Gizmo sits on the arm of the chair and Doogie puts her chin on my knee <laughs> and I literally go bite for me bite for you bite for you and I, mm. I I mean how can I not I mean and they are healthy there's nothing in them that dogs shouldn't be eating mm. but 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 my husband's like there's still calories <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know. And, and on another note, and I don't know if you found this, but I, my dogs get fed primal or freeze dried. And mm. Doogie, we give her two nuggets in the morning and two in the evening. But if you read the bag, she should have like 12 nuggets a day. 
And I'm just like, mm. there's no way she would be absolutely huge if we did that. Mm. So I do wonder sometimes how those calcula are those calculations made for Olympic triathlete canines. Who <laughs> Maybe they are. Thousand <laughs> calories a day. Because my dogs are quite a, is a, quite an active dog, and there's no way I could feed her that quantity. She would be absolutely huge. Yeah, and I th I think it's the same with Pepper. We looked at how much he should be fed, but his his food came with. It was quite helpful because it came with two sets of amounts on the label. It came for an amount where the dogs had a good weight, and it came with a different amount to feed for a dog who needs to lose weight. So that was quite helpful. So that gave us a, a good starting point for for him. So here's a question for you, because I've always wondered. Let, so on, on the bag, if it says your dog's 40 pounds and it says one cup, mm. um, but your dog should be 30 pounds, which is half a cup, is that recommended amount for weight loss? Do they find a middle point or do they actually ask you to feed to the weight that your dog should be? I... I'm not actually certain. I'm guessing they will have found a midpoint because right. otherwise it would be quite a lot, but I don't actually know for sure. But the American Animal Hospitals Association has some guidelines on weight loss for how much to feed. So I think they just use those guidelines that are being calculated to say how much the, the food should be. So, you know, that makes it helpful. But then, you know, every dog is different. Like every person is different when losing weight as well. So you just have to keep an eye on it and weigh them regularly to, to see how it's going. But I think, I think it's one of the things that we need to be on top of as positive reinforcement trainers and using, as in, because many of us using food as a mm. primary. Because one of the things that we hear so often from our clients is, well, I don't want to be feeding my dog all the time. It's, you know, mm. I don't want to be giving them. Um, and I think, I mean, I, my dogs will eat carrots and other things that are a bit healthier. And yeah. so, so I can use that. But a lot of dogs are not interested. They literally only want, especially if you've, um, sort of gone up the hierarchy and you're giving them freeze-dried liver at that point they're going to be like well yeah. I'm not eating a bloody carrot I want my freeze-dried liver or, or you know yes I know and we have to be so careful when choosing treats for for dogs so Pepper's on a special diet and we're really lucky it comes with a treat that he really really loves Good. so that's very nice and handy and it turns out he likes some fruits and veg as well um, Bodger would like anything he used to eat anything so he was really easy to trade didn't matter what it was Ghost was a completely different story because he basically he would work for cheese maybe he would work for a piece of turkey apart from that he wasn't really interested so you had to be really yeah. you know you had to work hard to yeah. find something that he would actually work for so that was good and I think that's something that people can find quite difficult because we get used to the easy dogs if you've had an easy dog before and all of a sudden you get a dog who's quite fussy and choosy about what they, yeah. they get it's it's quite a shock it's quite hard <laughs> At the dogsmith, we have a, a double-sided um, eight and a half by eleven that just has literally probably over a hundred items that we found in the past. You know, where owners—I mean, I had an owner that only fed, the dog would only eat Cheerios. I mean, mm. or another dog would come to class with a Ziploc of lettuce, iceberg lettuce. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Some dogs are can be as fussy as people. I mean, they're just really fussy about. Um... Now, with mm. that said, I mean, Kathy Say Dow does a great webinar on how eating is an operant behavior and you can actually uh, train dogs to eat particular foods. I mean, you, 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 mm. can, you can impact You that. can, yes. I've heard that webinar. It's a really fantastic yeah. one. I actually, I recommend that to people yeah. a lot. I think yeah. that's that's really good, really interesting. Yeah. It was, it was Kathy came and did a two-day workshop with Laurie Stevens at my place a few years ago and it was part of that. It was because they were talking about gray muzzle dogs and how sometimes... Mm. Well, we, I mean, you know, I mean, I had a cat for 21 years that I got in Egypt when I lived in Egypt and this cat mm. then moved to Nigeria with me. And by mm. the time I met my husband, this cat would only eat warm roasted chicken breasts. Mm. As having lived in hotels for years, the chef would make her oh. chicken breasts because I couldn't, yeah. ship, I couldn't ship food in. Mm. And, um, that went on for the rest of her life. And it got to the point where you literally had to sit by the bowl and and sweet talk her while you hand fed it. And we all mm. thought, oh, well, she's finicky, she's getting old. But actually, when I think back, that was a mm. behavior that we had shaped over several years. Mm. And if I'd have been smarter, we probably could have done a bit of a reversal on that and had her eating other foods. Mm. And, and I think a lot of older dogs get like that, don't they? The owners make food a big ooh-ha and they get right down with them and they lie on the kitchen floor and they hand feed them. And then yeah. Eventually, the animal only eats under those conditions, and the owners go, "Well, they're just really, really fussy." Well, yeah. 
again, you can change it. You can impact that. It's 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 fascinating. And a lot of us don't even think about that. We just think about eating. How can you how can you change a dog's eating? Well, you can. I mean, you absolutely can. But what's a lucky cat to get all those warm chicken breasts for food? That, I mean, that's really nice. And being warm as well, because then there's the aroma of it is a lot more yeah. too. It's like when, whenever you have a cat who isn't eating, you're going to suggest something a bit, a bit warm for them. So that's really nice. What a lucky yeah. cat. Well, I mean, it obviously it worked. I mean, she lived to 21. So that's amazing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah, she did. But, um, but it's hard, isn't it? I mean, she wouldn't eat kibble. She wouldn't eat manufactured soft food. It was literally just really, really fussy. But again, mm. if I'd known what I know now, if I'd known that then, I probably could have done something about it. But mm. and as they get older, you sort of make excuses, don't you? You think, well, it doesn't matter if they're a little bit overweight. They're 12 now. Or it doesn't matter if we give them a little bit of this. It's not too good for them. Um, oh, yeah. We, and they're seniors. They, they deserve a bit of yeah. special treatment, don't they? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I know when I eat a chocolate bar twice a week, I argue that I'm getting old now so I can eat a chocolate bar. It's not going to negative. I'm going to start saying that to myself. That's a good one. <laughs> Oh my God, Zazie, I don't know about you, but sometimes I urge dairy and Cadbury's dairy, fruit and nut, and I have to, yeah. I, I go on a mission looking for it. The American chocolate doesn't do it. It has to be Cadbury's and it has to be. Uh, yeah, I can understand that. Definitely. I'm more yeah. of a dark chocolate kind of person. I love the dark chocolate. So the lint dark chocolate or green yeah. or blacks or something, but yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, there's, if you look at the quality of ingredients, some of the American chocolates are far superior than the Cadbury's, mm. but it's um whatever floats your boat I guess so yeah and what you're used to as well I, I mean I think you know living somewhere different from where you grew up you end up craving things from back home sometimes or from the other places that you've lived in along the way so it's just just part of yeah. you know being an international person and moving around you want your home comforts yeah. sometimes Absolutely. yeah is um talk on the topic of food does WAG talk about food does it talk about feeding does it talk about the, the use of reinforcement and how you can sort of use it without your dog getting overweight I'm sure I mean I, I think it I'm mentions it yeah so I mean it has quite a it has two chapters on dog training so it talks about why we use food in dog training in there and it talks about some of the research um, because there's some really interesting research on what works as reinforcement in dog training comparing like petting the dog or praising the dog or giving them food and so on food works best in in the the studies that have been done um, and even people have started researching what kind of food works best oh, really? and yeah so there's been some really interesting work um, on how fast dogs will run to get different types of food so they train wow. the dog to run down a runway and then either maybe what well, in one study they either got some kibble or a piece of sausage and you won't be surprised to learn that the dogs run faster for sausage but yeah but it's good to know that it's been like empirically shown and it helps to helps us to know that we're absolutely right when we tell people if they're teaching their dog recall they it really makes a difference to have really good treats so it's good to have you know an evidence base behind that yeah and for variety the same kind of study was done testing a variety of treats versus always the same best treats and there it was individual differences so some dogs preferred a variety all the way through some dogs had a favorite treat and they would always run faster for that treat but over a long long period of time it seems that variety works best so that's really helpful so there's quite a bit in wag about the evidence on what works as rewards in dog training and then there is a chapter on food because food is a very personal thing and obviously I'm not a vet so I did speak to a vet and read some of that literature and, and I haven't gone I can't give advice on what people should feed their dog yeah. but it's a very personal thing and it's part of dogs being part of the family we tend to think of feeding them like the families you know some people cook food some people give raw food some people feed kibble or whatever we all make personal decisions based on what we think is best for the dog so there's a chapter on that and and it includes something about some really interesting research on a difference between wolves and dogs in terms of being able to digest starch so yeah. somewhere it suggests that somewhere along the way through domestication dogs develop the ability to digest starch in a way that wolves right didn't, which makes sense because they're yeah, living yeah. with us so they've yeah. learned to yeah. eat the the kinds of foods that we eat mm -hmm. but at the same time I think when that research first came out it was a big surprise because everybody was used to thinking of dogs as being well, like wolves and eating like wolves so I mean these are all personal choices that that we make in terms of how we feed them and then there's some also some really interesting research about dogs being overweight and the interactions between people and the and the kind of relationship that they have um, 
with which is a bit different for an overweight dog who gets fed a lot of table scraps compared to someone else so part of another part of helping your dog to lose weight sometimes it turns out is actually finding other activities to do instead of giving those table scraps to the dog actually playing tug or taking them for a walk or building new up yeah yeah changing your habits which would be the same as for people wouldn't it so that must bring a big big bell for you absolutely yeah and it is it, I mean, it's, it's really I mean some of the research on the two selves and the short-term self and the long-term self and how our minds work in terms of you know I can make a decision today that starting from next Monday I'm going to go to the gym and on mm-hmm. Sunday I pack my gym bag and I put it in the car and I go to the office and all day I'm like yeah I'm going to go to the gym and then when it actually comes to driving home it's like it's, then there's a dis, sort of hyperbolic discounting at that point we go well you know maybe I'll do it tomorrow and off you go yeah because it's hard it's yeah. hard to change yeah. what you do really and, hard. and yeah. I think sometimes we don't we we need to recognize that and not judge our clients for it because they're human like we are mm-hmm. and they may have called you into the home and they may have paid you a consulting fee and they may have great intentions but we are asking them in many cases to fundamentally change what they're doing in their home with their management and their dog and habits and family mm. activities. And it's really difficult for people to say, got it. And then to make the actual behavioral change to match the intent. It's really, really hard. And as dog trainers, we need to do a better job of motivating clients, of coaching them through that change and of being patient with them that it doesn't happen overnight. We can't expect them just to sort of go, got it. Just because you came to my home, now I'm going to suddenly start feeding differently, walking differently, getting up differently, managing my children and dogs differently. The reality Mm. is it's not going to happen overnight. It's just not. Mm, Absolutely. And I think there are so many things which just become second nature to us. And so it's easy to forget that at one point these were habits that we had to learn and it takes time to learn, you know, what to do. And it takes a lot of effort sometimes and especially like for someone with a reactive dog who suddenly has to start walking their dog at a different time of day in order to be avoiding other people that's that's actually a big ask that's a you know it's a difficult thing to do maybe they have to get up early or they have to go to bed later or instead of watching their favorite tv show at a certain time of night they have to record it and take the dog out then instead you know these are big changes and I think we can't tell people exactly what to do because they have to work out how to fit it into their life, but we can work with them to find out what works for them that will also be working for the dog and, and how they want to change things with the dog too. And, 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 they and it have, takes... Yeah, I mean, they have to do the heavy lifting. I mean, so many professionals get burnt out because like, well, my clients don't listen to me and I'm get, I get flooded by all the sort of um, aversive dog trainers and I just wish my clients would listen and it's like you can't care more than your client does mm. you can't do the heavy lifting you have to project manage them so that they come to the realization that to be able to meet their goals they have to make some changes to their environments their own behavior Otherwise, that relationship's just adversarial. It's not a collaborative model and it's just not going to work long term. I mean, it just, mm. just doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. One of the, I do a lot of coaching runners. And one of the first things when people come to me that want to get started, one of the first criteria is, well, do you have the right shoes? If not, get them. And then the, mm. d- the first day is just put the shoes by the front door, I'm not asking you to do anything else. And then the second day is put the shoes on and open the front door. And then it's mm. like, well, now you've got your shoes on and you're out the front door. How about just walk into the end of the block? Because if you tell somebody you've got to get up at five o'clock and put your shoes on and go walk three miles, that is insurmountable. It's not happening. It's just just not happening. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's too big of a change. So we have to be able to break things down into into small amounts and and also build it into a habit so it has to become like this new way of interacting with the dog, which is going to happen over a long period of time. And in some cases, people are going to have to do management or keep that up throughout the dog's life they're not necessarily going to reach a point where like this is completely solved and they can go back to doing things how they were sometimes they will but it just depends on the issue so it's also helping people understand you know that it's going to take time they've got to do it in small bits and and it'll become a habit and and they do become habits and then you know we know what it's like to have a lovely relationship with your dog and to know what to do and sometimes you meet a dog and you're just automatically doing things And it can be quite hard to put into words exactly what it is that you're doing so that you can coach someone else through doing it as well. So it takes it takes patience, I think, patience for us and patience for the person with their dog, too. Yeah, I have two questions for you. The first one is in that research about recall, 
was there any did they look at the magnitude the size of the reinforcer or was it just the type of reinforcer so in the one with the sausage and the kibble i think it would be lovely to see some more research on it so they compared a some kibble to a piece of kibble to a piece of sausage um, and the sausage made a difference and then they also compared one piece of kibble to I think it was five pieces of kibble and five pieces of kibble wasn't really any different than one piece of kibble um, so that's quite interesting and then of course we would want to know what about two pieces of sausage yeah. <laughs> you know but that I, as far as I'm aware that hasn't been done yet but maybe someone will do it at some point because wasn't there some research done, and I, I don't recall when it was, and it may have been changed now, that suggested that actually jackpotting does not have the, the desired impact that a lot of people think when they start sort of jackpot a particular breakthrough of behavior. And that it's not a, it's not a sort of a linear process in terms of reinforcement mm. size. Um, do, yeah, there's there's been a lot of research on jackpotting, including some quite old research, but I think I haven't seen anything specifically in terms of dog training, which would be interesting. But I mean, I, I don't know if five pieces of kibble counts as a jackpot compared to one yeah. piece of kibble, yeah. but that didn't make a difference. So I, I, the, I mean, the most important thing and, and the message that we want to convey to people is that some kind of nice reward that the dog enjoys is enough. And that's what you want yeah. to give. Um, and yeah. it, so long as you've got that, then it doesn't really matter how much of it there is, perhaps. Right, right. <laughs> I remember years ago, I, I did a workshop with Chris Back and she, talk, she talked about um, fast food and fine dining. I don't know if you're familiar with those two concepts of reinforcement. Mm. And the fast foods like McDonald's, the dog does something, you click and you just reinforce a piece of sausage. And that's your McDonald's. There's no peripheral experience. It's over and done with. You drive through, you grab your Big Mac and off you go. Mm. And then there's the sort of fine dining where you get down and you're like, oh, you're so gorgeous. Have a cookie. And you spend like two minutes dispensing lots of little cookies and stroking them and talking nicely. And that's like a fine dining experience where you go out with your husband on a romantic mm. evening. It's a nice restaurant, nice music, nice table linens, nice food. And that, that experience you remember so much more vividly for longer because of the, mm. the actual food may be the same, but the way it's been delivered. Mm. Um, and I do use that with my dogs when they do something that is just absolutely fabulous um, it's, yeah it's nice to do that and I think it makes us feel better as well to make more of a big fuss when they've been yeah. really fabulous but of course the point when it really most matters to give different kinds of especially good food and make a big fuss mm -hmm. is when you're doing counter conditioning because mm -hmm. you really want to make a big impact when the dog is afraid of something and you're trying to change that emotional feeling um, yeah. you you want to make a a really big impact of saying actually something really really good is happening now and so you will do a lot of that uh, special treats and and happy talk and so yeah. on and, and that will be especially helpful in in those moments yeah because you want that contrast to be absolutely yeah between no stimulus and suddenly the stimulus arrives yeah yeah the other word that you uh, mentioned earlier which I, I i don't know i mean I, i'm probably wrong if i say it's understated but I, I i don't think and i know i was guilty of this i'm better at it now is recognizing that not all clients either have the finances or the resources to go through massive behavior change programs and sometimes management is the perfect solution to the problem mm. um, and so many things can be resolved just by managing the environment and student control um, mm. and then and i know as a junior trainer whenever i went into clients homes you always want to sort of write to counter conditioning program and get your hierarchy and get it moving and you think well you're actually doing a disservice because maybe just putting the dog in a crate to eat its bone because it resource guards is the perfect solution mm. and sometimes that's enough and that's all you need yeah. to do yeah. or or making sure that you don't leave any food on the kitchen countertops yeah. i have a little shih tzu believe me he can get on the kitchen countertop now <laughs> so we suddenly have to be careful with managing what we're leaving out in the kitchen have you got like staggered? we've got it we've got a yeah we've got a, a settee that goes on because yeah. it's an open plan so yeah. on the other side of the kitchen countertop there's a settee so he can jump <laughs> on the settee he can climb onto the back of the settee and then he can jump onto the kitchen counter so i never imagined that we'd have to worry about that but all of a sudden yeah. we can't leave food out on the kitchen counter because he will smell it and he will get up there and as, perhaps especially because he's on a diet he is yeah. He, you know, he has a good nose yeah. and he's very, very motivated to find food.
Yeah. And, but, and normally only a cat owner would worry about those kind of scenarios, don't they? Because, I know. <laughs> and we have two cats, but they don't they don't really tend to go up there. Um, I guess they've already we've had them a long time. They've already learned that they're not supposed to go up there. We don't normally leave stuff there. But um, yeah, so with cats also, you like to have other spaces where they can go and relax and be high up because obviously they like to be high up. So just for that reason, the kitchen counter is going to be good for them even if even if it doesn't have anything enticing on it so we've made sure they've got lots of nice cat trees and so on but yeah so how did pepper take to the cats we knew that he was good with cats because he'd been in a foster home with cats um and so i think he was actually a little bit nervous but he's he's fine with them and they took to him quite quickly as well so obviously they used to get on well with with bodger so we knew we thought they'd be okay with a, a respectful dog and yeah, they get on well, which is nice. They don't cuddle up together or anything, but um, one of the cats, Melina, goes and sniffs his nose quite often. So they greet each other. Um, there's nothing, um, isn't it adorable when different species connect? There's, I mean, there's nothing nicer, is there, than seeing a dog and mm. a duck and a dog or a, a horse and a dog? Or it's just, I mean, it's lovely. It's just, it is, it is lovely. It yeah. just makes you, yeah, it's really, really nice. Yeah. Mm. I saw a video on Facebook a couple of weeks ago of a, a, a bull, a bully breed dog rolling around mm. the hall with this big mallard duck pecking at it. And those, <laughs> I mean, and I, I do know a little bit about dogs because we had a, a, quite a few pet dogs for many years. And I just mm. thought, oh my God, that is wonderful. I mean, my, my ducks and chickens would lie next to my Aussie in the, oh, they'd all like yeah. together and they would follow her around. They loved mm. her. Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love things like that. It's so nice. And it's not what you expect necessarily. Yeah. And it's also especially sweet when it's a dog that, I mean, some dogs will be a threat, quite a serious threat, you know, to a duck or a cat or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's nice to have, have them be friendly. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so you're doing a second session for Geek Week, which is an academic session, isn't it? Or is it? Uh, the, now the academic session is the one about how we change people's minds and behaviour, and then the second session is an introduction to blogging for That's dog trainers because um, obviously I've been writing a blog for nine and a half years now, and also I teach I teach communication skills at at on the anthrozoology program at Kinesius. So um, it's going to be a quick overview of how to write a blog, where to get ideas from, how to structure a blog post, what kinds of things you should do to make sure that you get people actually coming to read your blog. So a bit, a little bit very basic on search engine optimization and building a community around your blog and also some stuff about how to find pictures for your blog and what to think about copyright. So it's a, like a quick overview of everything that you need to know to, to have a blog. and. I think having a blog can help to bring people to your website. If, if you've got a regular dog training website, it can help to bring people in. And also it's another one of those things that can help to give people the right idea and, and information about how to train a dog or cat. Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's really interesting you say that. Um, one of the things that we're doing this summer, we're actually merging some of our websites together. So we have a massive platform where everything is together because we want our members to be able to get their Bark subscription from the same website to get their Pet Dog Ambassador so that as a member, you can access all of it in one location. Mm. And one of the reasons we're doing it is because many years ago, I actually separated my blog from my website, thinking that I would then create two sort of areas mm. for people to land. And it was a really bad mistake. And when we brought it back, immediately we saw our um, SEO improve and we saw mm. more visitors unique visitors coming so it really can help with pulling people into the system um, and we have a great Barks blog and it just seems a mm. shame to have it sitting out on a different platform when it should be on the PPG website. Mm, I think that makes a lot of sense it sounds like a huge amount of work to do though but <laughs> so I don't envy you that side of it but it, it sounds like a good idea and I think the thing about SEO is that it changes over the years and, and what Google likes changes all the time so to some extent you just have to focus on making sure you've got a really good website that does what people want from it so in your case what your members or the or the public wants from it so with my blog it's just how, how it can help people and be user-friendly and so on um, and thinking about that and the people who are using it more so than Google's actually ultimately I think helps with what Google wants. And I want to make a point here about monetizing blogs because I've, I've spoken to people in the past and it's like oh you should try and monetize that well I don't really want to do that I don't know if it's ethical or not 
there's nothing wrong with if you have an audience coming to your blog and you're making recommendations and talking about things there's absolutely nothing unethical about having links in there and giving people the ease and the and the ability to go and buy something and there's nothing wrong with you financially benefiting from that it's the same as any other type of business referral there's just nothing wrong with it I don't know why we and maybe it's because we're dog trainers and we tend to sort of be all about the 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 animals and the sort Mm. of I don't know what word I'm looking for here we we tend to sort of think that making money is not help not not ethical and there's nothing unethical because you monetize some of your blogs don't you you, yes yes I have I have affiliate advertising and I sell t-shirts and and a few other things and so I think we we get used to expecting stuff on the internet to be free but it's not really free because there is advertising everywhere Um, and I think over the time it it probably gets harder and harder we see lots of big news organizations having to work really hard to get money from what they've got on on their website but there's absolutely nothing wrong with it I mean I'm not advertising shock collars obviously I'm quite careful about what I I put there to advertise And, and I think that's the thing so long as you're if you're recommending something, so long as it's something that you approve of personally, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And people can't expect everything for free. Like we try and teach people that they shouldn't expect their dog to work for free. Of course, we shouldn't work for free either. You shouldn't, you can't do something just because you love dogs. You still have to eat. (laughs) So I think that's an important thing to remember. Not that anyone has to monetize a blog if they don't want to, but it's, it's a perfectly okay and reasonable thing to do. And it makes sense if you want to keep blogging in the long term. how else are you going to do it? Unfortunately. (laughs) No, I'm, I, one of the reasons why I'm really excited about Geek Week this year is A, because we've got the three very distinct tracks. Mm. Um, so the academics is all basically academic and we have I think there's 30 PhDs doctors who are all either working in research or have done research so that's going to be fabulous and then we have the behavior track which is the how-to track and my goal with the behavior track is that anybody going to a behavior session actually can take something tangible away from that which they can use in their business so it's not just a very wide and very sort of um narrow it's sort of narrow scope and deep in terms of what mm-hmm. it is and then the consulting track which is often overlooked but equally as important is our ability to manage people to train people to build a business to market to do all the other sort of things that we have to be able to do so that the blogging one for me is is a really great topic because i hear so often well i'd love to be able to blog i really enjoy writing but i just don't know where to start mm. And for many people, it's a really good way to market your business. And if you don't, and I always say to people, if when you market your business, don't force yourself to do stuff that you don't enjoy because you won't do it reliably and consistently. It's better mm. to do the stuff that you really enjoy doing. And if you love writing, a blog's the perfect, perfect marketing tool. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I hear that from people a lot as well, that they love writing, but they never quite get around to it. So I'm hoping in that talk to give people lots of tools so that they will feel comfortable getting started and and keeping a blog going and they'll know what to do. And you have to be genuine in your marketing efforts. You have to really see it as helping other people. And I think through a blog is is a really good way to do that. Absolutely. Now, last question, because I've kept you for an hour. Um, one of the one of the the underlying theme for Geek Week this year is um, for the love of rescue because we're very passionate about rescue, especially with the pet rescue resources that got rolled out that Jean and the Academy were so instrumental in, in supporting and underwriting. Um, so all the presenters are have three free tickets they can give out to a rescue of their choice. Have you allocated your three? rescue tickets? Yeah. I want to give them to the BCSPCA because obviously that's my local animal charity and they do amazing work for example they have something called animal kind which is a list of dog trainers that they've vetted to know that they only use humane dog training methods so anyone in bc can easily go to find a humane dog trainer and of course they do so much work in in rescuing and helping dogs and cats and all kinds of animals actually horses even and so on in in bc they do phenomenal work so i want to give my tickets to them lovely and some i've had a couple of presenters that have said well you know, um, I don't really work with any shelters. I don't know any. Can I just rattle them on Facebook? And we said, well, actually, we'd rather you not do that because we also have a scholarship program for Geek Week this year for rescues. So if Mm. presenters don't give out their tickets, those tickets can actually go into that that scholarship pool. So if you work for a shelter or rescue organization, you're listening now, in August, there's going to be a scholarship application. You can apply um, and we're, we're prepared to give out 
a lot of tickets, I mean, just a lot, because one of the missions of the PPG is to, through osmosis, get that education out there. And often shelters can't afford to embark on the education. So we can't stand by and, and, and judge shelters for not using the type of training methods that we all love if we don't help them to achieve that goal. So um, I think that's mm. one, of the, one of the goals. And then the other, the other step with um, the rescue and shelter as well is that we're giving massively discounted rates to shelters if they have groups. Last year, um, the Dogs Trust in the UK, I, we, I think we made available to them about 100 tickets. Awesome. A, really 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 discounted rate because mm. they asked so don't be afraid to come and ask us either if you're a rescue and shelter organization ask we're, we're always going to help and um, we'll do whatever we can do to help so yeah mm. I think that's fantastic that that's a really good thing to do and I'm I'm going to be excited to see so many people there from shelter and rescue too it makes such a difference well and if you actually go through the um the speaker list so many of the speakers particularly on the academic tracks work in rescue as well I mean I can think of at mm. least seven that are actively involved in the dogs trust or some other and I and I also want to acknowledge and recognize that there are some very large rescue organizations that do great work but there are also mm. some really small organizations that do just as important work mm. so um don't think that this is just for the big rescue and shelter organizations if you're a small shelter and you're doing good work and you want help and support then um go to the website click on the page that talks about the rescue scholarships and go ahead and apply yeah brilliant Zazie it's always so nice talking to you and I always feel like I'm just hanging out with a girlfriend so I know it's lovely chatting with you thanks so much for inviting me to come come and chat with you it's been really fun welcome and you will definitely hear from us about the book club so you are definitely on that list so hopefully. oh brilliant thank you yeah, it's all good fun and we might even tap into your knowledge of, of how best to to run them as well given that you have so much experience with that I'm sure Rebecca's listening but I'll let her know as well I'll be happy to chat thank you right. yeah exciting <laughs> uh, lots of good stuff coming ahead so yeah all right and and again I always say this to you and I mean it with absolute honesty I, let's let's have you back in a few months because I know you've got some of the projects that you're working on so um I think there'll be some thank you to talk about in the future as well all right I'll look forward to it thank you you're welcome take care bye, bye. Pocket Suite is an all-in-one app that makes it easier to run your own pet business. Pocket Suite keeps you organized and looking professional with automated scheduling, payments, contracts and more. Whether you are just starting out or a seasoned business owner, Pocket Suite helps businesses save time and make a great living. You can be up and running on Pocket Suite in 15 minutes. For more information, visit pocketsuite.com dot io